congratulations to all of these graduates. Yes, we're excited for them. They called your graduation ceremony a commencement address because it's the beginning of the next season of your lives. And so we're all very proud of you. One more large hand for the, all of these guys. Yes. Way to go, guys. You're all dismissed. You may find your way to your seats. I genuinely, at that age, could not have spoken my name into a microphone. So I commend you. You know, that was an exciting thing for me. In Louisiana, we would have that after eighth grade because we never knew if it would go beyond that, you know. You know our, you know our reputation, so, yeah. I was hoping that would be funny and that none of my Louisiana friends are watching, so forgive me, guys. Well, good morning to you all. My name is Roy Duffy. I'm one of the pastors here at Real Life Church. It's, it's going to be my honor to share with you from this pulpit, and that is, in fact, an honor. And let me also say welcome to those of you who are new here. If you're our guest, we're glad that you have come and included us in your Sunday. You make our services better. And let me also look into the camera and say welcome to those watching on Facebook. And thank you for including us in your weekend. And whoever is here and everyone is here, we pray that your time with us is a blessing. And so thank you for being, being here. Let me ask a question. How many of you have ever let anyone down? Anyone? Yes, yes, I know. Every hand could go up. We all have. It's not a fun experience. How about big time? I mean, you have just dropped the ball. Anyone? I see all the guys' hands going up. Yes, we're guilty of that. I hate knowing someone is disappointed in me. Anyone else feel that way? I just, in fact, I have a little bit of a people-pleasing personality. If, if you and I schedule a time to go eat, I want to know where you want to eat because that's exactly where I want to eat. Any people pleasers know what I'm talking about? Like sincerely, because we're fulfilled, fulfilling your wishes, <laughs> I guess. Oh, disappointing someone is just not cool, especially when you've like committed that you've got their back. You know, you can count on me. I won't let you down, and yet you did. I remember growing up and violating one of the household rules and knowing that it's deserving of the household punishment, which in my day was a spanking, to put it politically correctly, but my dad called it whoopings, and he didn't buy into this timeout thing or the grounding philosophy. You know, he just believed in the Bible verse, spare the rod, spoil the child, and I'm not spoiled, so that tells you a little bit about what happened. I earned every one of them. But those times when I remember when he would sit me down and there was no belt in his hand, and so I'm wondering what's up, and and I'm dreading what might be coming next, and sure enough, he'll start out by saying, now, son, your mom and I are really disappointed. <laughs> no, don't do the disappointment speech. Just whip me. Here, use my belt if you're missing yours. I don't like the disappointment speech. That's painful, isn't it? Anybody ever let the Lord down? What the Bible might call grieving the Holy Spirit. Yes, again, we all have. Well, here is the thing that I want you to walk out of here remembering. If you forget everything else, remember this, that... His love, this is in your notes, in fact, His love matters most when I deserve it the least. Now, I'm not making a theological argument when I say that, okay? His love is perfect, always was, always will be. He cannot love you more. He will never love you less. I've simply, hopefully, given you a memorable statement to remember the message this morning. Well, we're in good company. The Bible is filled with the stories of individuals from cover to cover who let the Lord down. One of the more famous ones, I think, is the Apostle Peter. Peter, one of the disciples, he's 
a favorite disciple for a lot of us because he's just like us. He's so real. I mean, he's so relatable. He's, he's I kind of edited a word because it just fit better. He's so unperfect. You know, he's just loud and boisterous and impetuous. He just responds in a moment's notice. But we love Peter. His story is ups and downs, victories and defeats, and f- overcoming and faith. And We first meet Peter in John chapter 1 when his brother Andrew met Jesus. And Andrew goes and finds his brother, who then we know him as Simon, son of Jonah. And he finds Simon, his brother, and he says, You have to come meet this man who I believe is the Messiah. So Peter and Jesus meet, and in that first meeting, Jesus looks at at Simon and says, from now on you'll be called Simon Peter, meaning the rock. Jesus saw something in Peter from that first encounter. In Luke 5, we're told about when Jesus called him and commissioned him and gave him his life's work. Peter is fishing with others, and they had had no success, and Jesus shows up and says, cast your net on the other side, and suddenly there are more fish than they can haul in. And In that scene, Jesus looks at them and says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, Peter is famous for his big mouth. Usually it's serving the Lord's purpose, and we can cheer him on. Other times, not so much, and we have to pity Peter. You know, Peter's the one when Jesus is quizzing the disciples, who do others say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? Peter real quickly speaks up, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one we have been waiting on. Go, Peter. Bravo. But in that same conversation, Jesus is explaining what must happen, and I have to lay down my life. And Peter interrupts him and says, no, 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 no. Jesus, it's not going to happen that way. You're not going to die, not on my watch. Jesus has to rebuke him because that, in fact, is what was going to happen. And then on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter opens his mouth again, and it's devastating. And he finds himself in one of these seasons where Peter desperately needs to be reminded and reassured that, in fact, his love matters most when I deserve it the least. You know, when we have failed someone, especially someone that we love and care about or feels that way about us. We, we have these sea of emotions that go on. We're afraid. We're embarrassed, certainly. We can be ashamed. But when the dust clears, really what we want to know is, are we okay? Are we, can we survive this? Can you forgive me? Can you still love me? I mean, or, or have I just really blown it too bad? We would all agree that Peter never would have forgotten that moment in the courtyard when he denied the Lord. Tradition says that for the rest of his life, every time that he heard a rooster crow, he would just break down and begin to weep. And we can understand how that could happen. But the beautiful part of this story and what we're looking at this morning is how Jesus responded to Peter's failure. Jesus, knowing Peter in his lowest moment, he needed to be reminded that his love matters most when you deserve it the least. So number one in your notes How did Jesus respond? Number one, Jesus sent for him. He sent for him. On that resurrection Sunday morning, Mary and the others are going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, and they're discussing who's going to roll the stone away for us. And when they get there, they discover the stone has already been rolled away, and they see that the tomb is empty, and the angel of the Lord appears to them and says, He is not here. He has risen, just like he foretold. And then he says this, Go tell his disciples, and Peter. I think it's fascinating that the angel felt compelled to include and Peter. Peter is one of his disciples. In my mind, I see it this way. The ladies are there, and the tomb is empty. The angel appears, and after they got out over that, that would take a moment, right? 
but he tells them the good news, and they're getting excited, and the angel says, now go tell his disciples, and the ladies turn and run to do just that, and the angel calls out, oh, whoa, Mary, wait. And Mary stops and turns around looking at the angel, and, and he says, be sure you tell Peter. I think it's apparent that Peter's failure had separated him, at least for a time, from the disciples. So it wasn't enough to say, tell his disciples. He had to include and Peter. Mary, I believe, had to go, and this is just my imagination, okay? This is not scriptural. He had to, had to go find Peter in this other place, and Peter, I have a message from the Lord. And listen, he, he said to tell his disciples, but he specifically named that I find and tell you. I think Peter needed to hear that. You know, Peter failed in the courtyard, but Jesus sent for him. Peter, no doubt, had spent agonizing moments just, rolling over those, the memory of that night. Just remembering that Jesus was just arrested and he's hauled off to face Caiaphas, the high priest. And Peter follows closely behind, the Bible says. One of the few disciples that had the courage to do that. And he finds himself in the courtyard warming his hands over the fire. And Jesus' trial is, is beginning and he's standing there. And I think Peter's probably thinking to himself, how can I fix this? What do I need to do? Who do I need to take out? And then a little girl comes by and says, hey, you look familiar. Weren't you with Jesus? And in an instant, everything changes, and he just kind of dismisses her and says, I don't know what you're talking about. Moments later, someone else comes by. Hey, you, I recognize you. You're one of his followers. He says, I don't know. I don't know the man. And then the third time, I think by now he's probably afraid for his life. He's sort of seeing things develop. And the third time, the Bible says when he's asked, he curses and says, I tell you, I don't know the man. In that instant, that rooster crows. He remembers Jesus' words to him. And then shortly thereafter, Jesus is brought out from before Caiaphas. And, and the Bible says that Jesus turned and their eyes met. Can you imagine that moment when Peter looks in the eyes of his Lord and then the full weight of his sin hit him like a ton of bricks? And the Bible says that he went outside and wept bitterly. But after all that, the risen Christ sins for him. He doesn't write him off as a permanent failure. He doesn't include him in the biggest loser category. No, Jesus still has plans for Peter. In your notes, Peter's failure did not cancel out God's plans for him. That's encouraging to me. That ought to be encouraging to some of us in the room. I know this message doesn't speak to everyone today. It likely will at some point in our lives, but it definitely speaks to some. And that ought to encourage you that our mistakes, our failures, don't cancel out what God intends to do with our lives. In fact, what he tells Peter, I believe he tells us, you've made a mistake, get up, be restored, receive my grace, and get busy about doing what I'm having you do. <coughs> the first thing is that he sends for him. Number two in your notes, Jesus meets with him privately. Where did Peter go after he denied Jesus? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I suspect he might have done what many of us would do. If I've disappointed you, if I've dropped the ball, I really don't want to spend a lot of time in your presence. I kind of want to be by myself in those moments. You know, if I've disappointed you, I just kind of want to be by myself because sin doesn't just separate us from God. If we're not careful, it can separate us from God's people. Listen, the devil wants to get you alone in those times and begin to tell you lies, begin to say things like, you're through, you're finished. You'll never recover from this. God will never use you again. 
And you have a better chance of convincing us of those things if we allow ourselves to be isolated. So we have to resist this temptation for this self-imposed solitary confinement. And I think that's what happened to Peter that weekend. The Bible doesn't say where he was during the crucifixion. It doesn't tell us where he was during the burial. Personally, I think he couldn't bring himself to go to those events. I think he was in that lonely place beating himself up with the questions that you and I would ask over and over. Why? Why? Why, Peter? Why did you do that? How could you have let him down after all that you've been through with him? Why were you so stupid to brag about how bold you are? And they may deny, but I'll never. Oh, why? And then finally, what must Jesus think of me now? And really, that's the only question that we can have a sneak peek at the answer to because the Bible tells us two places in the New Testament about a private meeting that Jesus had with Peter on Easter Sunday. Look, I put these scriptures in your notes. First, in Luke 24, the Bible says, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. I love that last part. He first appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. He didn't wait for them to all be gathered. There would be no public humiliation. Jesus knowing the pain and suffering that Peter is going through, he sends for him, and then he has a private meeting with him. That is the amazing grace that we sing about from the God that we serve. Amen? A beautiful story. Now we come to what is probably at least one of, if not my favorite, stories in the Bible. It's from the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21. Specifically, if you want to read it later, because I'm not going to take the time to read all of those verses, first, verses 1 through 17 of chapter 21 of John. We'll illustrate it as we go forward. But the third thing that Jesus does for Peter is he reminds him of his power. This story is once again a fishing expedition that is absolutely fruitless. They catch nothing all night long. Jesus shows up. Suddenly they have more than they can haul in. And I think it was Jesus' way of reminding Peter, hey, I matter. It's important that you stay connected with me. Listen, if I don't want you fishing, you can go fishing as often as you want and you won't catch anything. But if I want you fishing, you'll catch more than you can ever handle. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's with me that you can do all things. Amen? See, the women, when they went to the tomb, part of the message that they were to deliver was to tell the disciples to go to Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and wait for Jesus there. And so they do this. So Peter and the others, they arrive, and Jesus is not there yet. And if you'll allow me the liberty to think through this, I'm thinking Peter's, he still had that private meeting, but I personally believe he was largely silent, just couldn't bring himself to really say much. And, and he's standing there, and he's thinking, and they're waiting, and time goes by, and he begins to think, you know what, I've messed up too bad this time. I don't deserve to be a disciple. I mean, Jesus can find someone more qualified than me. I blew it. I, I, what am I going to do now? And he starts thinking, you know, I'll just go back to fishing. I mean, I was a fisherman before Jesus, and honestly, life was a little bit less complicated then. I know how to make a living fishing, and I think I'll just do that. And so he says, I'm going fishing. Some of the others say, well, we'll go with you. And they go, and they fish all night and catch not a thing. These were formerly professional fishermen. They knew what they were doing. I can imagine Peter thinking, I failed as a disciple. Now I'm failing as a fisherman. I am just a big failure. 
And then the silence is interrupted by this voice calling out from the shore. You guys caught anything? And I think probably with frustration, no. Well, cast your net on the other side. And I'm thinking, why didn't they all in unison right then say, it's Jesus. He did this three years ago. We've seen this. They didn't. They just cast their net, and sure enough, more fish than they can handle. And then it's that moment that John the Revelator, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because how much revelation did it take, John? This same thing happened three years ago. Suddenly there's more. You fished all night long with nothing. Now you have more fish than you can haul in. But John says, it's the Lord. I love that. You know, he's just like he has the revelation. It's the Lord, guys. I'm, I'm thinking everybody else is going, duh, big boy. But here's my favorite part of the story. I love this part. Peter, after suffering what he's suffering, after beating himself, with, himself up with these questions, after doubt, doubting his qualifications as a disciple, after just deciding he's going to return to what he knows, go back to the old way, he, hears, he sees what happens, this miracle again. He hears John say it's the Lord, and the Bible says he dives into the water, and I think he just starts swimming frantically for the shore. And he's thinking as he's racing toward the shore, his heart is getting full of all these things he wants to tell Jesus. And he's just rehearsing through his mind, I've got to get there. And I don't want these guys to hear this conversation. I've got to tell him, I love you. Please forgive me. I don't know why I failed you. I was caught off guard. Please, can you please restore me? Can you forgive me? And he's racing to the shore. But seemingly, there's no conversation when he arrives. The Bible has nothing about what either of them said when he gets on shore. And the other disciples come, and surely now he can't say anything. And, and the Bible says they eat breakfast in silence before Jesus finally begins to ask those questions. Here's what I think happened. I don't, some of you parents have had this experience. A few years ago, Leslie and I took our oldest to college in Nashville, Tennessee. And to, our family of six was becoming a family of five. He would have been there four years and then live his life. Now, things changed, but... We're there, and we, we do all the things you do for that weekend. We enjoy Nashville. We get his dorm room ready. And the whole time, I'm thinking as the dad, I have to have this farewell speech, you know? And I'm kind of privately rehearsing all of those things. It's going to be kind of my Braveheart moment or uh, Will Smith from Pursuit of Happiness, you know? Hey, you've got a dream. Don't you let anybody steal your dream? You know, I'm kind of going over how cool it's going to be, hoping other people are around. And so, but... The last few hours are starting to approach, and I just feel my heart sort of encroaching onto my throat, and I'm beginning to wonder if I'm going to be able to say anything at all. And So I'm kind of narrowing it down. You know, these are the most vitally important things that you have to say as the dad. And, and then we get to that moment, <laughs> and I'm thinking, I can't open my mouth without it just erupting in emotion, which nobody needs. I'll be in trouble. Leslie will get on to me. She does believe in grounding. I'll get grounded. And... <laughs> So we're, we're in that moment, the car's behind us, the campus is behind Chandler, and he's standing here, and the, the, his siblings are hugging him, saying bye, and they seemingly don't give a rip, you know, they're just like, bye, see ya, can I have your room? Then, you know, mom hugs him, and, and somehow her throat was slightly lower, so she kind of gives a speech, you know, and I'm sitting there, can't open my mouth, and so she turned, and now it's my turn, the last hug, and, and so we approach, and we embrace, and it was the tightest hug ever, and the only thing I could just somehow eke through my lungs was, I love you, Tiger. Tiger was my nickname for him since he was a toddler. and That's all, that's it. No speech, no Newt Rockney moment, you know. And, and so we turn and we get in the car. He turns and walks off into the sunset kind of thing. And 
you know, for the first hour of the trip home, I'm driving like this, you know, like, just like trying to look at the road somewhat. I, I don't want to just have this ugly cry. And I think that's what happened with Peter. I think he dives in that water and he has all, the, all of these intentions and he has this speech rehearsed and he's ready to just tell Jesus everything that he's been wanting to tell him. I love you. Please forgive me. and I'm sorry. But by the time he gets to the sand, his, his heart is in his throat and he can't open his mouth. And I, I think he ate breakfast like this, just looking at the ground, not making eye contact with anyone. And they're eating in silence. And, and then suddenly Jesus, Simon, do you love me? I, again, I'm just imagining this. I don't think he looked up. I think he's kind of just kicking the dirt. And he says, yeah, you know I love you. Second time, do you truly love me? So this time I think he probably maybe did a quick glance, you know, like, yeah, you know I love you. Third time, do you truly love me? By the end, I think all of those things he wanted to say, they're just welling up. And I think he raises his head and he makes eye contact with his Lord. The one he denied just a couple of days ago, but now is in this moment of restoration. And Jesus says, do you truly love me? And I think he looks at him and there's all of these emotions right there in that moment. And everything he wants to say, Jesus being fully God and omniscient, he knew everything he, that was coming when, when Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then for the third time, Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep because Peter finally got it. Jesus is saying, Peter... That's the only thing that matters. If you love me, then keep doing what I called you to do. You made a mistake. I forgive you. It's okay. Our work is not done. Get back to it. And Peter has this moment where Jesus could have just read him the riot act. He could have embarrassed him in front of his buddies. Anybody ever been gotten on to in front of your buddies? That is a horrible experience. If you've ever played high school sports, you've experienced it, right? Film day. Anybody remember film day when they look at your play in slow motion and tell everyone what you did wrong? Oh, I hated those times. I always had two or three plays that I just ruined it, you know? Jesus had those moments, but Jesus is not that kind of God. Amen? My first job in high school was at a grocery store. It was a new store. In fact, I was there before it opened and on grand opening day and my job was in the perishable department, stocking the milk and eggs. And had a buddy that was working with me, and he was crazier than I was, and I was a bit crazy. And so and, and as time went on, we started having fun in the cooler. They would leave us alone with all of this milk and these eggs. And you can imagine, yes, teenage boys. So we learned how to throw milk jugs. I bet we could do 30 feet without, without spilling most of them, you know. And we, egg tosses were a little bit more challenging Egg wars were ugly, um, but there were always mops around, so we were okay, you know. And so the store, they had this overstock of candy bars, and so they stored these couple of pallets of candy bars in the cooler to just keep them fresh, I suppose, until they put them on the shelves. And we're back there one day, and this crazy dude says, I dare you to eat one of those candy bars. Okay, the guys will understand this. The ladies, not so much. You can't refuse that, ladies. Uh, it's a dare. You have to follow through. And so I grab a, no kidding, a payday candy bar, no pun intended, and I unwrap it, and I take the first bite, and I kid you not, the store manager walks through the door as soon as I take that first bite. And he's from me to probably the third row. And so I stuff it in my pocket. I've got this bite of 
peanuts and nougat in my mouth, and I'm trying to, you know, like, can I swallow it without dying? What do I do? So luckily, the, my friend who is part of this, he sort of carries the conversation. He's only in there for a, several seconds, I guess, checking on something, and then he leaves, and we look at each other, and he said, dude, I just knew you were busted. I said, yeah, me too. Don't ever dare me to do that again. So naturally, we all thought I got away with it. An hour later, I'm out on the floor. And I'm just walking, doing my thing. And that same store manager comes up to me, and he puts his arm around me. And he says, walk with me. And so we're walking, and, and yeah, instantaneously, I, I knew I did not get away with it. So he says, put your, put your uh, hand out. He Give me your hand. And so I hold my hand out, and he puts a few coins in it. And he says, go pay for that candy bar when you have a chance. And I'm... Peter on the shores of Galilee, you know, yes, sir. And so he says, I, I believe in you. You're better than that. I know you won't do that again. And I worked for that place four and a half years, and I never stole another penny, I promise you. If I saw a penny anchored to the floor, I would pry it up and go to put it in the till. He taught me a valuable lesson. He could have done that in the cooler. He could have gotten on to me in front of my buddy. He could have fired me on the spot. But he didn't do what I deserved. He did what I needed in that moment. And that's the kind of God we serve, that he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. Isn't that beautiful? Thank the Lord. Fourthly, in your notes, he restored him publicly. We don't know what was said between Jesus and Peter in their private meeting. That's just for them. But truthfully, I'm glad you don't know everything God's told me privately. And you probably feel the same way. But what I'm thankful for is, what he did publicly, how he restored him publicly in front of his disciple friends and, and all the things he didn't say. He didn't even ask the polite questions, the things that would have been understandable. You know, such as, so Peter, help me understand that night. What was really happening that led you to do that? That would have been okay. It would have still stung, but it would have been okay. He doesn't say, Peter, I love you. Now, if I give you a second chance, will you promise to do better? Promise not to let that happen again? He doesn't do that. doesn't do any of those things. He just, he asked the question that Peter needed to be asked. Not because Jesus needed to know the answer. He knew the answer. Peter needed to hear the answer. Peter needed to be reminded that his love matters most when I deserve it the least. Peter needed to be reminded that he called me. I made a mistake, but he still loves me. Did that work? History tells us Peter never denied the Lord again. In fact, history tells us Peter was crucified upside down, saying he wasn't worthy of being crucified the way his Lord was. History tells us just a few days later, he's preaching to the masses on the day of Pentecost, and including no telling how many that were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's preaching boldly. And on that day, 3,000 people were saved. And so, yes, Jesus' treatment of Peter was effective. Years ago, I read the story of a ladies' magazine, and they surveyed their readership. And they asked, what are the three most cherished, desired things you could hear someone say to you? They had thousands upon thousands of responses, and they collated the top three and came up with this. I put three blanks in case you would like to write them down. But number one, we could all guess, I'm sure, what would be the most cherished, most desired thing you ladies would like to hear someone say? Anyone want to guess? Not a single one of you? I love you, yes. Number one was I love you. No surprises there. Number two might be a surprise and is tragically sad, in my opinion. Number two, 
of all the thousands of responses, most cherished thing you would like to hear, I forgive you. That's sad to me. How many people are walking around just hoping someone pulls in the driveway, makes a phone call, drops a note to say, I forgive you. Can I just make a quick aside note real quickly and say, if you're one of those individuals that someone is waiting on, would you do myself a favor, yourself a favor, and that person a favor, and before nightfall, would you do that? Would you do for them what Jesus did for Peter and let them know you forgive them? That's different from putting yourself back in a situation that you don't need to be in, okay? Forgiveness is different from that. But, okay, that's an aside note. Let me step back over. That's pretty heavy. Number three, thankfully, lightens it up a bit. This makes me think it might have been Southern Living Magazine, okay? Because the third most cherished thing that these ladies would like to hear, you ready for it? Number three, supper's ready, come eat. Someone guessed that? They're hoping someone else made dinner, you know? I get that. I struggle in the kitchen. Pretty good with cereal, okay with toast. Beyond that, I'm struggling. I was spoiled as a kid, and thankfully Leslie spoils me now. So I get that. She might rank that number one. Supper's ready, come eat. You know what that made me think of? What we're about to do in just a couple of minutes. Pastor Dennis walks us through the communion service week after week, and he encourages us to take a moment just quietly in the presence of the Lord. And, and in that time, if there's anything between us, it's always going to be me, never him. But if there's anything there, either from that day, the week prior, or at any time in my life, just to come clean before the Lord, knowing that that's an opportunity to hear what those ladies want to hear and what Peter heard at Galilee. I love you. I forgive you. Come dine at my table. Amen? Now, I'm smart enough to know, I said earlier, it doesn't speak to everyone, but it speaks to someone in the room. And If you're here, I just want you to know Jesus is here. And he's not here to confront you. He's not here to embarrass you or to rebuke you. He's here to tell you he loves you and that he forgives you and that you're welcome. He misses you around his table, that you're welcome to dine at his table. What kind of church would it be if we all embraced this? How many homes would be restored, marriages rekindled, relationships between parent and child? How many things could change if we embraced this principle of the gracious God that we serve who loves us despite our failures, despite our mistakes, will never embarrass us in front of our friends, just wants to say, I love you, I forgive you. Come dine at my table. Bow your heads with me, if you will. With heads bowed, I want to do a couple of things. First, I want to know those of you who are willing to admit that this message speaks to you, resonates with you, just like it was shared right where you are in life, because I want to pray for you. I see hands going up already. Would you Hands all around the room. I suspect it as much. Well, just know I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Thank you for being honest and sharing those with me. But I also want to pray for anyone that might be in the room who has never given your heart or your life to Jesus. To put it in a pretty cheesy manner, you've never done the Jesus thing. Maybe you came with family or friends, maybe someone who's been inviting you for some time. And you're here and you didn't know what to expect, but after today's service, you, you're thinking, you know, this is the real deal. I want to give my heart to this God who came and to die and paid a price for my sins and who loves me that way, who offers forgiveness. 
For others of you, maybe it's a long, dry season and you're ready to come home and you want to kind of make a fresh commitment. If you're in the room, I want to pray for you as well. Will you slip up your hands? So I'm looking to my right now. Any hands in the, I see that hand, thank you. Now I'm kind of moving over to the right side of the middle. Will you show me your hands so I can pray for you? Thank you, I see, I see those hands, thank you. Now I'm in the left middle side, my left middle side. Any hands here? Thank you, I see those hands. Thank you. Six or seven of you there. Now I'm on my far left, your far right. Any hands in that section that I can pray for this morning? Thank you, I see, see hands in the back. Any others? I see that hand, thank you. Okay, I want to I make these two prayers. First, I'm going to pray for the first group of you that acknowledge this message resonates with you. Father, I'm thankful for this story. God, I'm thankful that you recorded not just the story of Peter's denial. How tragically sad would it be if, for us not to be able to read about his restoration, Lord. And on the shores of Galilee, that beautiful moment where you kind of recommissioned him to, to work for you. Lord, thank you for being a God of grace, a God of restoration. Lord, I don't know the situations of those who raise their hands, but you know everyone. You know the intimate details of those. So, God, we're just giving them to you. We're trusting you with them. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would orchestrate whatever needs to happen for full restoration to take place, Lord. And maybe it's between them and you, and all that is is for us to come to you, just to come freely and afresh to you and hear those words. But Lord, maybe it's a relationship on earth that needs that healing. And so I just pray for those moments, Lord, that you would restore them, that they could walk out of here renewed, if only in their faith, Lord, and only, if only in their hope of things to come, and that we're going to be okay. So, Lord, I thank you for blessing and reaching and touching and healing those who acknowledge that this morning. And, God, now I pray for the many hands that went up that either said, I need to say that prayer for the first time, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life for the first time, or I'm, I'm ready to come home after a long, dry season. I just lift those knees up to you. And, Lord, in their minds, I'm, I would invite them to repeat this simple prayer after me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for my sins. Thank you for your offer of forgiveness. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Be my Savior. Come rule. Come reign. Come lead my life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God praise for what happened this morning? Yes. Lives restored.